You're listening to Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. Um, so far to this point, we have looked about uh, how, uh, but God knows your heart. Like everything that's in your heart, there is nothing hidden from God. Everything that is inside your heart, God knows. So it, you can try and keep stuff from him, but he knows everything that's in there, okay? Uh, we looked at how God chooses the foolish, right? So that's good because... Um, just like uh, the story we read about Balaam's donkey, how God used a donkey, which is like completely foolish, to, to bring someone to know who he was. God uses the foolish in our life to reveal things. And so we don't want to ignore the donkeys in our life. Last week, we learned that God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us, right? And so we know that while we were actively sinning against God, now, Christ died for us. Now, today we're going to go one step further, okay, um, into this Christ died for us aspect. And we're going to learn uh, a little bit about his death, okay? Uh, because in, in today's but God um, lesson, we're going to learn uh, but God will ransom, okay? And we don't really hear the term ransom very often unless, of course, we're reading it in the news where something has gone horribly wrong and someone has been kidnapped or taken captive or whatever, and then the people demand a ransom. I think most recently, uh, at least the ones that I can think of, was uh, the oil tankers in the like 2009, 2007, and they were taken uh, uh, captive by pirates, right? And they had to uh, demand a ransom in order to release the tankers and the... Uh, the, the crews on board. Um, that's the last real one I remember hearing in the news, but I'm sure there have been other ones. It was a significant one financially. I did a little bit of research on uh, the most expensive ransoms ever paid, okay? And I want to share with you some of them. There's a list um, of the like 15 most expensive ransoms ever paid. Here's a selected few. Uh, if you've been around the world, uh, alive for a while. You may or may not recognize some of them. Some are from the 50s and a bunch of them are from the 70s. Uh, you may or may not recognize the names. A guy named Bobby Greenlease Jr. was a six-year-old son of one of Kansas City's most wealthiest people. In 1953, he was kidnapped and the ransom was $600,000, which is the equivalent of $5.1 million today. That is a lot of money, okay? And that's at the bottom of the list of the most expensive ransoms ever paid. It goes up from there. The president of the Firestone Company, you know, like tires and whatnot, uh, he uh, was ransomed for $3 million in 1974. In today's economy, that would be $13.9 million. And still, I mean, it's expensive, but, you know, for a company, not too much, right? Then there's this poor guy. Um, there was something called the Robertson Corporation. I don't know what that is, evidently fairly large. Um, his name is Charles Lockwood. He was an executive for that. And in 1973, he was uh, taken hostage and ransomed for $2 million. And then again in 1975, he was taken hostage and ransomed for $10 million for a total equivalent today of $52.9 million. That's Poor luck on his part. Um, one of China's richest businessmen was taken hostage in 1997. 
His ransom was $77 million. The equivalent today, even though that was only, what, 11 years ago, is one point, or one, uh, $110 million. So we're starting to get up there, right? Um, and here is the most expensive known ransom ever paid. There may be more, but this is the most expensive that we can substantiate. Jorge and Juan were brothers. They were wealthy Argentinian brothers who traded and did all whatever they did in Argentina. They were taken hostage in 1974, and their ransom was $60 million in 1974 for a today's equivalent of $293 million. That's how much their life was worth to the ransom people. That, that's in essence what a ransom is, right? It's stating how much money that person's life is worth. Is that weird? Do you ever think about that? How much money someone's life is worth? Like we think life is really important, but ransom notes give you a monetary value for how much that person or item happens to be worth. Um, not all ransoms are terrifying though. Now, when I was in college, and I got my wife's permission to tell the story. Afterwards, she said, you made me sound like a creepy stalker. <laughs> She's not, okay? Um, uh, but this story makes her sound like one. Um, so when we were in college, there was uh, this event every year at our university called TWIRP, T-W-I-R-P. And it stood for, the woman is required to pay, okay? And there were five events during the course of this week. And during every event, the, the woman that you were dating would, or maybe not dating, you were just friends, but the girl would ask the guy to the event, so to the dance or to the costume party or whatever they were doing, you know. Um, and the, the, the trick was you had to ask the guy in a very creative way, okay? Now, for those of you who don't know much about me, my bed is like a sacred space, okay? I don't want people to touch my bed. I don't want you to look at my bed. I don't want you to breathe on my bed. Don't even think about touching my pillow. If it's on my bed, it's off limits to everybody but me. This is how I feel. I've always felt this way. I don't know why. True story. It's a true story. That's yeah, spoken from my child, right? Okay. Yep, yep. Um, and, and I've been this way my whole life. Uh, and so when I got my roommate, I was like, here are the ground rules for being my roommate. I will share everything with you. Don't ever sit on my bed. Okay, I had this conversation with roommates every single time. This is like my, my sanctuary, right? Um, and, and on my bed, I had a teddy bear, okay? My teddy bear's name is Potato. still have this teddy bear, okay? Yep, it's given to my daughter now. And this is my, my favorite teddy bear. Now, um, during twerp week, um, somehow, uh, when I got back to my dorm room one day, my teddy bear was gone, right? Someone violated the bed space left a ransom note for my teddy bear and it was Shelly. I don't know how she did it. Okay. And she took my teddy bear, left a ransom note. And that was how she twerped me that week. I had to go meet her to get my teddy bear back and agree to go on whatever we were doing that night for twerp. Uh, I think it was roller skating. Um, and, and then get my teddy bear back by agreeing to go with her. So um, some ransoms are not terrifying. Some ransoms are fun and they lead to finding your spouse. I don't suggest it, but that's how it happened for us. Okay? Um, needless to say, today we're talking about ransoms. Um, and I want to give you guys a definition of ransom, okay? Because we don't really encounter ransoms all that much unless it's in the news. And generally it's not a very good thing at that point. 
Here's the verse that we're going to anchor ourselves in, and then we'll get to the definition. Psalm 49, verse 15. But God will ransom my soul from the grave, and he will receive me. Okay? This is significant to our salvation, significant to our day-to-day -day life, significant to the hope that we hold. But God, right? Remember, these but God phrases are not like how teenagers talk. But God, right? It's not like that, okay? It is a moment where life is going poorly, but God interjects himself and does something on behalf of his people, okay? So, but God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave, and he will receive me. Now, here's the definition of ransom, in case you aren't aware. It's a threefold definition. It's a payment to release someone from slavery, okay, uh, from debt, or from a prisoner of war status. So if you're paying someone's ransom, you are exchanging a chunk of money to purchase someone back from slavery, to pay off someone's debt and free them from the burden of that debt, or to exchange them in a prisoner of war status. In fact, some of the uh, ransoms on the list of most expensive ransoms ever paid were prisoner of war ransoms that were paid uh, upwards in the millions of dollars to exchange a prisoner of war from one country back to this country. Um, and so uh, you can see a ransom played out in this way uh, for one reason or the other. Spiritually speaking, though, when God ransoms us from the power of the grave, he is releasing us from slavery, from debt, and from a prisoner of war status. Sometimes I think when we read these verses in Scripture um, that God will ransom my soul, we think, that's great, he died on the cross for my sins. Okay? And we don't necessarily think of the weight of what that means. We don't necessarily process what that word ransom means. Right? We just think, okay, that's Jesus on the cross, move on to the next verse. So what we want to talk about today is what that ransom actually means, what that ransom actually was, how that actually applies in a tangible way to our life. We can't excuse ourselves from the fact that we are enslaved. We're going to look at that in a little bit. How we carry a huge debt load uh, that we can never pay back, and we'll look at that in a little bit. And how we're actually like um, captives in a prisoner of war status, that we... Uh, we are part of a kingdom that likes to sin rather than a kingdom that likes to exalt God. And Christ has come to set us free from the kingdom of sin. So we're going to look at that here in a little bit. But we need to understand something about Jesus first. Um, and Jesus is going to tell us from his own words in Mark chapter 10 why he came to earth. Okay? Okay. Uh, he came to earth, right, for a lot of different reasons. We think, oh, it's great he walked around earth, healed people, right? And he hung out with the disciples because he wanted to build his church. And, uh, we can come up with all of these reasons that Jesus came to earth. But if you ask Jesus why he came to earth, he gives you one reason and one reason only. He has a very defined, very narrow purpose. It is one thing that he, he planned from the beginning of time 
down to the moment he was born on uh, uh, of Mary and Joseph and wrapped himself in flesh, one thing that got him up every morning, one thing that kept him going no matter life got hard, one purpose. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. The Son of Man has one purpose. Jesus has one purpose. One purpose and one person alone. alone. To pay the ransom for the many. Okay? He only had one purpose. This was the sole reason he came. He healed people along the way. Okay? He helped build his church along the way. He discipled people along the way. But none of that would have mattered if he wasn't going to ransom the many. This is the hinge point on the existence of Jesus Christ in human flesh. He came for one purpose, to ransom our soul from the grave and to receive us. So that means that Jesus made an intentional choice. He made an intentional choice when he was seated in heaven that the best plan to redeem fallen humanity Humanity that had sinned against God. Humanity that said, I kind of like my way better. Humanity that said, eh, the apple looks better than holiness. Humanity that says, uh, killing my brother is better for me than learning to work with him in harmony. Um, the humanity that said, I'm going to build a tower and try and become like God. Humanity that said all of these things. God says there is only one option. There is only one way to redeem to draw back into my relationship, to uh, restore, to um, envelop in my love. The only way this is possible is if I ransom them because they are humanity. My children, God says, they are enslaved to sin. They are in debt to me and they, they are captive and don't even realize it. They serve a king that only wants their death and I am a king that wants to give them life. And so, Jesus made an intentional choice. He said, I will leave my throne. I will enter human history. I will put on frail humanity. I will walk every day of my life towards paying the ransom for the people whom I love so dearly. Everything he did was intentional towards that. To make a choice to ransom us. Now let's look at these three things uh, from the definition of ransom. The first is slavery. We are enslaved. If you read John chapter 8, verse 34, Jesus tells us very clearly, he says, truly, truly, now, in the original language, uh, well, not the original language, but in, in the uh, New King James Version, the King James Version, it says, verily, verily, right? <laughs> so um, uh, a, a better translation uh, might be truthfully, truthfully, or uh, really, really, like honestly, honestly. I'm not joking. I'm not joking. Okay? This is what he's saying. I'm telling you, everyone who has practiced sin is a slave to sin. Uh, uh, the idea of practicing sin means you've sinned once. So if you have sinned once, you are a slave to sin. Anybody feel that way? Anybody feel uncomfortable with that? I kind of feel uncomfortable with that. Okay? The idea of being enslaved to sin started when Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. Because before that, sin hadn't entered the world. 
God and Adam and Eve and humanity lived in this beautiful relationship together. Creation was in harmony. There was no pain. There was no suffering. The world was great. Okay? And then there were some guidelines for living according to God's standards. And the only one was don't touch the tree. Don't eat that fruit. And Adam and Eve decided that they knew better. The minute they decided that, sin entered the world. And from the minute sin entered the world, they were slaves to sin. They were no longer free in God the way they were before. Their relationship had changed. So they became enslaved to this idea that I need to get what's mine. I need to serve myself. And you see that play out through the rest of Scripture down from the pages from the very moment they took that bite of the apple. You can flip to any page in Scripture and you can find sin. Because overarchingly, this is not a book to replicate in your life. <laughs> right? This is a book where you read and you go, oh, I shouldn't do that. Don't want to be like that guy. Oh, good heavens. I can't believe I let my children read that. Right? Because the Bible is full of people who are sinners in need of salvation. Right? And we are just, we're just part of that group. Right? We're just part of the group of people who need Jesus. Right? And this whole book is a story about how much the world needs Jesus, how much the world is enslaved to sin, keeps choosing things that are harmful to self and others and humanity and creation because we just can't help it. It's our natural bent. We are naturally bent towards sin because partly sin feels great, if we're honest. We like sin. Some sins are fantastic. Not great or healthy in any way, but we like them, we enjoy them, we embrace them. We don't want to think they're sinful because frankly they feel good and I haven't seen any consequences from them yet. I'm not really hurting anybody, so I'll keep doing what I'm doing, right? We are enslaved to sin and Jesus tells us that everyone who has practiced sin is a slave to sin. If we read in Romans, it tells us that everyone has sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Which means no one is exempt from this. Everyone has practiced sin. Which means everyone has been enslaved to sin. We have to recognize that in our own lives, honestly, if we really want to understand our salvation. Because if we don't recognize that we were enslaved, then what did Jesus free us from? We have to understand and own the fact that we are sinners in need of saving for our salvation to make sense. We are slaves to sin. We are enslaved. The second thing we are is in debt. Colossians 2 says this, By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands, he set it aside and he nailed it to the cross. Have you guys ever thought about your sin as debt? Think for a moment about your finances, okay? Just think about finances. Don't think about sin. Don't think about theology. Just think about finances. Imagine you get a credit card, okay? Nobody gives you any guidelines with what to do with it. You have choices. You can spend or not spend, and you decide, I'm just going to go make a small purchase, okay? I'm going to buy X, Y, or Z, whatever. You make a purchase for bubble gum, right? That was, consequently, the first thing I ever bought on a credit card was a pack of 76-cent bubble gums. You know, there you go. But imagine the interest on your bubble gum multiplies 
on the millisecond. It compounds every millisecond. And the interest rate is 1,000%. Yeah, good heavens, right? So you get your first statement, and you suddenly owe far more than 76 cents. You owe that which is equivalent to your, your full year's salary from one purchase. And you realize, I don't know how I'm going to pay that. I have no idea. How did that happen? How did I rack up so much debt so quick? And so you try to pay what you can, but it doesn't make a dent in it. And the next month you get your bill and the interest has continued to compound every millisecond. And now you owe the sum total of your life's salary. Three months go by. And now your bill is so inconceivably high, you realize you will never be able to pay it off. That is how sin debt works. The minute you sin against Christ, there is a huge debt that has occurred. The wages of sin is death. death. Yeah, for the children in the first row. Right? Okay. The wages of sin is death. That's the debt you have incurred. That's the price that is on your head. That's what's coming due in your monthly statement, right? You charged sin to your spiritual account. You are enslaved to it. You get your bill, and the bill says, death penalty. And you realize, oh crud, I have made a grievous error. I don't know how to fix this, right? Jesus canceled that record of debt that stood against us. With all of its legal demands, all of the, well, in that day, you would go to debtor's prison. Can't pay your bill? Throw you in jail until you pay the bill. Still can't pay your bill? We're going to take your wife and your children and put them in slavery. And everything they earn is going to go to your tab. Still not going to pay your bill? We'll sell your farm. We'll sell your cattle. We'll sell your llamas. We'll sell your cart. We'll sell everything you own. Because you have debt, you're in jail, your family's in slavery, and you no longer have property. That's how it worked. Those were the legal demands. The legal demands for us, according to God, are the death penalty. That we deserve death. In God's economy, all who have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, the wages of that is death. That's the legal requirement in God's economy. Sin is separation from God, period. But God canceled that debt against us. He took the bill out of our hands. He took his big red pen, licked it, and wrote, canceled. And then he took it to the cross, and he nailed himself to the cross willingly, because that was his one purpose. And when he died, he paid your debt. He died so you didn't die. And then you got a bill that said paid in full. So that immense amount of debt that you could never figure out how to pay off, Jesus paid it off for you. He set your debt aside, not that it wasn't paid, but that you didn't have to pay it. He did. He set you free from debt. And then third, this is the one we don't often think about, but you are captive. It's not just that you're enslaved to sin, but you are captive to a kingdom that is set against Christ's kingdom. 
Think about the Israelites for a moment. This is a beautiful picture of this. They were enslaved in Egypt, right? They wore chains. They were in bondage. The chains limited their ability to what they could do. They had a master that told them where they could go, when they could eat, what they had to do, right? They had a pharaoh who said, when you're in my country, you will live this way, act this way, dress this way. No, you cannot worship your God. Yes, you must make bricks, okay? This was how their life worked. Not only were they enslaved on the day-to-day, but overarchingly, they lived in a kingdom and served a king they didn't have a choice over. But then one day, God said, I'm going to free my people. He sent Moses, a representative of himself, to Pharaoh, and through many great miracles, he set his people free. Not just from the slavery and the chains, but also from that kingdom, so that they could be formed into the likeness of God's image again. So that they could be redeemed from a kingdom that led to death and brought to a kingdom that led to life. Right? So here in Luke, this is the moment when Jesus has come back from the wilderness. He's been tempted and tried by the devil for 30 days or 40 days in the wilderness. Over and over and over again, the devil says, if you want an easy way out, here's a shortcut. If you want an easy way out, here's a shortcut. And time and time again, Jesus says, get away from me, devil. I don't want to talk to you. I don't want to hear you. And he responds with the word of God over and over and over again. Then he comes out of the wilderness. He goes into the synagogue. And he grabs a scroll to read in front of the people. And this scroll is from the Old Testament. It's a prophecy. And this is what it says. He's making a declaration about himself. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and he has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives. I.e., let's translate this correctly. Everyone hearing this needs to understand Jesus came to give you liberty to that which you are being held captive. You are a prisoner of a spiritual war. There are two kingdoms. One is the kingdom of God, and one is the kingdom that is against God, Satan and all of his adversaries, okay? And you belong to one or the other. You cannot belong to both. You serve one king or the other. Jesus says you cannot serve two masters. So, Jesus says, God has sent me to proclaim liberty, to bring into freedom and life and hope and a new kingdom those which are captive in the war those which are enslaved to sin and have a huge debt over their head and are living in a kingdom that only leads to death, I have come to bring them to a kingdom of life. Scripture tells us, and I think it's in Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, I could be wrong on this, that he has transferred us, the word is also translated ransom, he has ransomed us from the kingdom of darkness and brought us to the kingdom of light. That's what he's saying here. That I have come to proclaim liberty to everybody who is stuck in a world where they know what they should do, but they don't do it. And they know what they shouldn't do, but they do that anyway. Does that sound familiar to anybody? When we live in that kingdom, we are captive. But Christ had said, I'm going to knock down the door to the kingdom. I'm going to batter ram through it. I'm going to knock all the walls down. And I'm going to say, will you come with me? I will ransom you from the power of the grave where you are, and I will receive you to be with me over here in the kingdom of life. 
He has proclaimed liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind. God will ransom my soul from the power of the grave. Do you believe that? I think I asked this last week too. I've wrestled with this passage for some reason. And maybe it's because it's really made me wrestle with my own heart and my own sin and the things that I don't want to give up but maybe aren't the best in my life, right? The things that I've become comfortable with and complacent about in my life. And as I've studied and prepared in this series, I've realized the more I dive into God's word and the more I look at how holy he is and how much he has done for me, the more I realize how much I live in a way that is contrary to him and the more I want to live in a way that is in line with him. And somehow it has to change from this part of my body to this part of my body, right? It has to change from I know I have sinned and I know he died on the cross and I know he set me free to I will lay hold of that promise and live in that. And sometimes, if I'm honest as a pastor, I allow him to do a work in my life in certain areas, but not other areas. You know what I'm talking about? Am I talking to just myself here? And God wants to redeem you, to ransom you from all sin, from all unholiness. He wants to have you completely in his kingdom. Not this one toe that kind of says, well, it kind of looks good, but I'm comfortable where I am. And every now and again, I'll dip my toe in to see how the waters are, but I'm never really going to fully commit to allowing him to redeem me. Because better that which I know than that of the unknown. And so I think sometimes Christians hold back from allowing God to do this intentional thing which he designed to do, which he purposed to do, which he came to do, which is to ransom us. And the, the fancy theological term here is called substitutionary atonement. Basically meaning Jesus died in your place for your sins on the cross. It should have been you. You should have died for your sins. You should have been separated from God eternally. But instead, Christ took all of the weight of the wrath of God for your sins and my sins and everybody else's sins, whoever was and ever will be, on his body on the cross. And he died. And in that moment, when all the wrath of God was placed on him, he cried out, why have you forsaken me? And it's because in that moment, God turned his back on himself. And I don't know how that works. All I know is for that moment, the father turned his back on the son and the son was separated from God, bearing the full weight of our sin, knowing that separation, knowing what it is like to be apart from hope and love and joy and peace. And he endured all of that and then he died and was buried and spent three days in the grave. Then he came back to life under his own authority. And now he has this insane, awesome ability to punch a hole through death and to grab the captives and to take them to be with him. He literally has ransomed you already. And now his hand is just extended towards you saying, 
I've paid the ransom. Will you receive it? Because you have the ability to say, I don't want it. You have the ability to say, this far and no further, God. You have the ability to say, uh, not yet. I'm not ready. But while you do that, though the ransom has been paid, it has not yet been applied to you. And so if you live in a way that says, I don't want that, I'm not committing to what you have done for me, I'm not receiving that which you have given me, you live enslaved to sin, with a debt that stands over your head yet unpaid, and you are captive in a spiritual battle. But Christ has already paid the price. He has already set you free, if you will but let him. This morning you have to ask yourself the question, and I've been asking myself all during the worship this morning. Have I run back to shackles? Have I willingly gone back and said, oh, I really like that. Put it back on. Because there are areas where, yes, where I constantly run back and like to lick my own wounds. And that's not healthy. There is a better way to live. Christ has died to set us free. We sang it earlier, right? Who the Son has set free is free indeed. Do you believe that this morning? The worship team is going to come and lead us in uh, <clears throat> a worship song. And there are communion elements available up here. Remember, the communion meal that we share is one of uh, a small cup of juice and a small wafer. And it symbolizes that moment when Christ shed his blood. That's what the cup symbolizes. And his body was broken. That's what the broken bread symbolizes. For you. So this is a meal that reminds us that Jesus died in our place for our sins on the cross, canceling the debt that stood against us, breaking the chains of slavery, and leading us towards a life that is full of holiness rather than sin. So as we sing in worship, I want you to have the opportunity to talk with God first. Uh, I want you to have the opportunity to confess your sin to God first. Because if you don't confess your sin, well, what kind of relationship do you have with God? He knows it, but confess it. It's one thing to say, forgive me of my sins. Great words. We should practice that. It's another thing altogether when we name our sins, maybe not out loud, but in our minds to Christ. And we say, Lord, forgive me for the time that I, and then fill in the blank. Father, forgive me because I, and fill in the blank. And be specific. Feel that sin and the weight of that. And then God will lift that weight off you, cancel the record that stands against you, and give you this immense sense of grace because we carry around so much guilt that we don't need to. Christ has set you free, and yet we choose to live in bondage. So the communion elements are available up here. The worship team is going to lead us in song. But before you come and partake at your own pace, would you talk with God first? 
That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go sit right there and I'm going to talk with God. There are some things that God and I need to work out. And I imagine it's the same for every other person in here. And if this morning you have not trusted Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, this can be the morning that you do that. This can be the morning where you say, it's completely crazy, it sounds bizarre, but I'm going to take a step of faith and I don't know what it's going to look like. And I'm not sure I totally believe it, but I've been told that if I just look in Christ's direction, he will look at me like he loves me because he does. And that love is what I need to know. And then come and partake the meal of communion for the first time as a Christ follower, knowing that Christ died in your place for your sins to offer you hope and forgiveness. Let's pray. Lord, we love you. We love you for who you are and for what you've done. You paid a costly ransom for us. You gave your own life. I can't even understand in my finite brain God dying for me. Sometimes I wonder, surely there was another way, but I'm not nearly smart enough to figure out what that way was. And God, you designed this way. You said this was the way. You said you were the way and the truth and the life. You are the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. So we pray, Lord, have mercy on us today. Forgive us of our sins. Extend your hand to us and encourage us to take hold of it. That we might be transferred from a kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. We will listen to your voice this morning. We will look for your face and we will trust you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. You've just heard a message from Ketchikan Church of the Nazarene. To learn more about our church or to support our ministries, you can visit ktnnaz.org. Thank you.